We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. That guy right there trying to needle me and get me fired up before the show even starts is Irish Breakdown recruiting analyst Sean Davis and my co-host for the Saturday RTCF show. We're going to talk recruiting, we're going to talk team and college football today. Sean, the topics are, are very interesting. I love the topics that we're going over today. And and you and I have come up with a million topics for these, but we, we're both old and we talk about them on the phone. And then by the time we get to like close to like we forget. So we've got a new strategy. As soon as we think it, we text it. And so we were able to remember the topics for this week. And we, we called, we're going to call a little bit of an audible. The original plan was to say which recruiting class is most important to Notre Dame, 23 or 24. We're going to audible that to kind of talk about there's a little bit of that, but more so why it's so important that Notre Dame nails it with both classes. We're going to talk about a little bit about June recruiting and just two positions where Notre Dame is in a really important position with kids that were on campus last week and this week. Talk about where things stands are with those guys at receiver and corner. And then what this month is going to teach us about Notre Dame, this Notre Dame staff ability to close. That's going to be our recruiting topic. Then we're going to talk about Notre Dame and the Heisman. Now, obviously, Notre Dame has not had a player won the Heisman Trophy since 1987. It's been a decade since anyone even finished as a runner-up to the Heisman. Yeah. And prior to that, they didn't have a real legitimate Heisman contender except, except until you know Brady Quinn, obviously, in 05 and 06. So Notre Dame and the Heisman hasn't really been much of a conversation. So Notre Dame's playoff runs in recent years have been more about the team and the best players being in positions that we don't see a lot of love for Heisman contenders, mainly defensive players. Right. right? So does Notre Dame have a tight Heisman contender on the team? We're going to break down some potential candidates for it. And then also does Notre Dame need a Heisman contender to be a, a playoff team and potentially a championship team? And then we're going to finish things up sort of looking at around the country and it's going to kind of take us into some, it's, it's a broad topic and it's basically what makes an elite coach. Sean and I had a very interesting conversation this week about and do you, the question, Sean, I believe you posed to me was, do you have to be an elite recruiter to be an elite coach? And then that sparked a, a lot of other conversations. So we're going to dive into what makes an elite coach and 
what are the things that we need to learn about Coach Freeman in regards to what he has, what we've seen that he has, and then what he needs to show in regards to whether or not he has the ability to be an elite football coach. So that's today's that's today's topic, Sean. So I have a feeling this is not going to be a short show. So <laughs> buckle up. And Sean has already started needling me before he even should even started trying to get me fired up talking about things that he knows are going to come really mad. So uh, and he did it on purpose because as soon as I react, he started laughing. So he he he's he's trying to start some stuff today, y'all. I'm just let, I'm just preparing you for that right now. It's gonna get wild. So Sean, let's let's start off with recruiting. In the original topic, we were gonna say which class is most important for Notre Dame's future success. Yeah, twenty three and twenty four, twenty three or twenty four, and and. And kind of briefly talk about that. And the premise was obviously 23 is can be that foundational class. 24 is the class that you kind of, is this going to be the class that takes you over the top? Because you can't just have one or two classes. Because we mm-hmm. both think 22, for all its flaws, short at receiver, you know, was is Steve Angeli a guy you can win a championship with? A couple other things, no sa- no true safeties. It also laid a great foundation on defense. You got yeah. Tobias Merriweather. You got Jadarian Price. You, you got a really good offensive line class. You got a great tight end class. And then 23 is stacking up on top of it. And then 24. And, and the premise was the reason 24 could end up being the most important class is because right now there's uncertainty about whether or not Notre Dame's going to get a quarterback that's that elite player in the 23 class. Then today, Sean, it really comes down to it is what 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 this is really about more than anything is you had a 21 class that was loaded offensively. Tyler Buckner, Blake Fisher, Joe Wald, uh, Logan Diggs. You had Audric Estime, Kane Barong, Mitchell Evans, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey. I mean, do I need to go on, right? Jaden Thomas. Not as good defensively. Right. 22 class, great defensively. Really strong D-line class. The best linebacker class in the country, in my opinion. Yeah. The best cornerback tandem that, like, one two-punch Notre Dame has signed in a long time. I would I would argue, as far as where they were in high school and what I value them in high school, going back to the, the T. Shepard-Kavari-Russell duo in 2012. And then, you know, yes, you didn't get a pure safety, but man, really good, really, really good you know, defensive class. Offensive class, we said, has some holes. 23 and 24, to me, Sean, are the classes that are going to determine whether or not Notre Dame's going to have a couple really good teams in like 24 and 25 mm-hmm. as these classes get older, or is Notre Dame laying the foundation for sustained success? I think that's really what, what we kept coming down to is, yes, it's great if Notre Dame finishes with a top three class in 23, but if they don't follow that up with another balanced, deep, top, also with some top heaviness class, yeah then they're not going to be that much better than what they've been as the schedule amps up because that's the balance, right? So they've had a lot of success because the schedule wasn't strong. They're going to have better teams, but this, I mean, you've got Ohio state, Clemson, Miami, Miami. Texas A&M, you know, Bama. There's a lot, there's a lot on the schedule moving forward, Sean, that this is going to, this, this duo, this combination is really going to be what determines whether or not Notre Dame can truly, kick down that door and, and get in the upper echelon when it comes to recruiting programs. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What you're talking about is the perfect annex to what we talked about last week as far as development and how players are going to improve under a different culture. That's something that we should see, especially at those positions that you just mentioned. And from a recruiting standpoint, 23 and 24, we always talked about this, right? What two classes really laid the foundation for Nick Saban? Mm-hmm. And it was 08 and 09. Right. Like back to back. The class. premise started with the 108. Right. And then as we talked further, it, it you realize like, wow, these two together are what, right. what it was. Right. And what it was, you laid a foundation, but 08 was the first, which we'll go to a Heisman conversation later in the show. They got that one Heisman guy mm-hmm. at a skill position. And that and was Julio even, Jones. And he wasn't even their best player. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Julio. Right. So when you start to think about this, you start to talk about, why closing on some of these receivers in the 23 class and why some of the expected commitments in the 24 class coming up possibly over the next month and a half bodes very well for what we're trying to establish. That's not just like what Alabama did, but it's along the same blueprint Mm -hmm. of starting to get in difference makers, gap closers, as we say, and then starting building towards the supplemental part. And you say, look, what's the supplemental part of the 23 and 24 class? What we do on the field. Mm -hmm. Like the momentum has been started with the 23 class. That momentum has carried over to the 24 class and getting that started at a better rate 
than a 23 class was started at. Now you have to back that up and supplement that by going out and getting 10, 11 wins and a good bowl win in a New York six bowl or a win in the college football playoff to take that next step and build upon that. So like you said, the wide receiver position for me is not so much. You just said he wasn't necessarily the best player. Mm Mm-hmm. But he was a threat. Like I, I told you all week, I shared with you, I've been watching a lot of tape from last year just in preparation for fall camp and talking about individual players and what we expect from them. And the main thing I see, how do I say this? Because I, I don't want to make it seem like we don't have talent. That I'm I'm waiting for the Will Fuller to show up. Sure. That's, that's what I mean. Sure. The guy that the defensive coordinator is absolutely frightened of every week who is that guy on the roster and that's going to be one of the interesting things to see from chauncey chance chancey stucky what he's done how he's developed guys Braden Lindsay has speed but can he be the guy that defenses fear right. each and every week lorenzo styles jr has promise right can he become that guy that defenses fear every week i guess that guy right now would be Michael Mayer mm-hmm. for a defensive coordinator. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But as far as wide receiver and then going to cornerback, we expect Cam Hart to take another step. Right. We, we expect him to take another step. But then the supplemental pieces. Right. And, th- and that's where this recruiting thing comes to, Sean, is like you're talking about the cornerback that, that we're that we're all banking on being a stud this year it was a kid yeah. that they recruited to play wide receiver. Wide receiver. Yeah. I, I mean, th- that that's kind of been the issue. And, and, you know, when you go back to that Bama class, what's fascinating about it is what a lot of people you hear this argument. Well, well Bama Bama won titles because they recruit a bunch of number one classes. Well, that eventually became true. Yeah. But that certainly wasn't true on the foundational level. And and you know you want you want to point this out as far as where Notre Dame is. So if you look at that 09 title team, and you look at the you know I say like the five classes that make that up. So you're going to have the fifth year seniors, which is 05. Then you have 06, 07, 08, and then you have the true freshman class because Bama yeah. won their first title in in 2000 um, 2009. So if you look at that 05 class, Bama's recruiting class. This is the 247 Sports Composite Rankings. Their 2005 recruiting class, which means all their fifth-year seniors, were ranked 15th in the country. Their 2006 class, which would mean all of their seniors on that 2009 championship team that went undefeated, ranked, oh, and beat Tim Tebow's Florida team in the SEC title game, 12th. The 2007 class, which makes up the juniors, finished 12th. The 2008 class, which would include the sophomores, that's the Julio Jones, Mark Ingram class, that finished third. And then their freshman class, which had some players on it in that title team, but not a ton, finished third. The class that they had the year that they won the title, the class they signed right after that finished fourth. It wasn't until the 2011 class that Alabama rant landed a number one class. And then of course began the run that they run. went on. Yeah. And, and, and the point is, is that re- recruiting is about building a team and it's about build. It's about stacking good classes on top of each other. And if you go back and you look at some of those, 
you know, those 06 and 07 classes that Bama had, and you look at some of the players that were on it, Sean, you know, it, it's one of those things where they weren't necessarily landing a lot of like truly elite classes, but what mm. they were doing is, is they were landing players at very important positions and they were building up the line slowly over time. They're building up the lines. And it wasn't until 08 and 09 to your point about receiver and running back that Bama really started to load up on elite skill. Oh, yeah. And you look at Julio Jones and, and, you know, cause they're starting cornerbacks in 2009, the title team were Javier Arenas and Kareem Jackson. Now yeah. you may think, Oh, those are NFL guys. Those are high draft picks, but they were three-star recruits. If I remember correctly, I think Javier Arenas's top pick uh, top offer other than Bama was something like Florida international. National, and like Utah, like Same yeah. thing where Javier Arenas was like, it was like, Bowling Green or something like some absurd like that, right? Like they weren't guys that anybody looked at and said, "Boy, that's a that's a dude." But here's what here's who they did sign in those classes, right? They signed Greg McElroy, who's a game manager quarterback, right? They signed Andre Smith, you know. They signed. <clears throat> you go through, uh, you know, Justin Woodall, you know, really solid player. Javier Arenas, I'm looking at it right now, five point five ranking on Rivals, three point three star. That's what he was as part of the 06 class, right? Then you go to the 07 class. And you look at some of the guys that got in that class, it's the same thing. It's it's you know, it's it's skill, it's offensive linemen, right? It's it's linebackers, it's Rolando McLean, it's Luther Davis, it's you know, it's Josh Chapman, it's guys like that, right? It's a bunch of it's Kareem Jackson, you know, it's guys that Marquise Mays, who was a key part of that, another three-star recruit. Then you go to the 08 class, and it's Julio Jones, right? It, it's I remember Star Jackson. Remember that guy at quarterback? You remember him? He was the guy that was supposed to be this really good quarterback. You know, they continue recruiting offensive linemen. You know, Bear Jones was part of that class. He was more important to that 11, 12. You have Dante Hightower, Jarrell Smith, you know, Terrence Cody, Marcel Darius. I mean, now all of a sudden you start getting the, the elite players, right? Yeah. The guys that yeah. really put the team on that next level. And, and Mark Barron, Mark Ingram, as you mentioned, Right. Who, you know, so that's when you started to really add in that that next level skill, like where they really started bringing in big time players. And then, of course, in 09, the the freshman class included Trent Richardson and Eddie Lacy. It's pretty good running back group. Right. You had DJ Fluker as part of that group. Chance Warmack was part of that. James Carpenter was part of that group. Nico Johnson was a five star kid, very highly ranked player. Quentin Dial was a highly ranked player. Drake Kirkpatrick was a five-star player. So that's when the elite skill started to come. And that's where I think you look at the last couple years, they've added some kids here and there, but you haven't been able to stack back and on top of each other, those classes. And I think that's where we kind of settled in on is why it's so important that these classes kind of comp. It's not just have a great, here's what Notre Dame has been doing, Sean. One year they would do really well at a position and the next year, not so much. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, you look like, hey, they got talent, right? Because they've got this players. But then it's like 05 and, or 15 and 16 D-line classes. In 2015, you land Jerry Tillery. Yeah. 2016, you land Dalen Hayes, Cliff Kareem, Julian Aguara. You, but then you look at it and you're like, you signed zero defensive ends in 2015 and you signed zero defensive tackles in 2016. Can't do that. Can't have it. No. Right. And then in 2017, your best defensive end is like Jonathan McAllister. Right. And, you know, you, you did well inside. You got Myron Tungvaloa late. You got to Kurt Heinrich. Those were very important players. But you couldn't follow that 2016 stud edge class with another comparable world. class. Right. 
And that's really why this is so important. 21 and 22 is a perfect example of that. Elite linebacker in class in 22. Who'd they sign at linebacker in 21? Like, oh, yes? Yeah, it's rhetorical. No, it's pausing for effect. Okay. Prince Collie, great player. But then right. it's like, who, who else? A kid that's going to go on a Mormon mission after yeah. a year, right? It, it's yeah. just like you, you didn't build those. You didn't stack those. You know, you got the real – you've got Tyson Ford and Aiden Gobira year before. You got Jason Onye and, and, and Gabriel Rubio. Who who do you have right now from on, that's on the roster that's a defensive end from that class? Nope, nobody. Yeah. Because Will Schweitzer's playing linebacker and Devin Upal moved to linebacker before transferring. Yeah. And so that's what's so important about this class. And defensively, it's you could actually look at 22 and 23 as stacking on top of each other. Really, we can have that conversation. But the reason we're going 23 and 24 is because offensively, you didn't have the kind of class you needed skill-wise. I mean, Tobias Merriweather's, in my opinion, the best receiver they've signed in a decade. Yeah. But he was one guy they needed three. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and that's just a, another example of of it. So 23 and 24, and right now Notre Dame has the number one ranked 23 class. Here's the wild part, Sean. Notre Dame's off to an even better start in 2024. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And let me point this out, because I think what Marcus Freeman is doing is so amazing, because you talked about what Nick Saban did. I think he and Marcus Freeman did an incredible job at identifying when you're trying to establish a culture, change the culture, and lay the groundwork, you can't recruit everything, right? You can't. Nick Saban, like you said, his focus was the trenches. Like, I'm going to focus on the trenches and make sure I get difference makers in the trenches. And then once we build and start winning games, I'll go get the skilled players to add to that. Marcus Freeman, as soon as he got here as a defensive coordinator, he quickly identified range, length, he, as a coordinator. Who was the first kid that Marcus Freeman went after when he got here and flipped? It's Tyson Ford. Tyson Ford. Not a linebacker. No. A big, long, long. to your point, big, yeah. long kid. Who was yeah. another kid he immediately jumped on? Aiden Gobira. To your point, yeah, he understands the foundation. What's the yeah. first assistant coach they made a hard run at when Marcus Freeman took over? It's Harry Heastan. Harry Heastan. <laughs> I mean, that was mutual. Right. Which was a right. great thing. Right. But that is the identification. And I will say this. Before he fully invested in recruiting, Nick Saban invested more and his coaching staff mm -hmm. to be able to establish the culture <clears throat> and the development of the players that were there. Marcus Freeman, in my opinion, has done the same thing. Mm -hmm. We talked about it all January, right? We were waiting like, man, I want to see how this staff breaks out, how it plays out. And when everything was said and done and the smoke had cleared, we were pleasantly surprised mm -hmm. with the staff that he had put together. There were a couple of hires that might have caught us by surprise because we thought they might go in another direction. When you look at the totality of the staff, when you look at the word I used last week and I'll continue to use, the audacity of this staff mm -hmm. on the recruiting trail to just go wherever they want to go and offer kids in the backyards of some of the top programs in the nation, it just lets you know that there is no fear. And do you remember the movie 8 Mile? Oh. Come on now. 
All right. So do you remember how, and I'm not trying to rile you up, just I'm prefacing that, but do you remember how Bunny B. Rabbit pretty much said what he thought Papa Doc was yeah. going to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman is a And he boy. said that to the guy before, too. You're saying yeah. the same that he said. You yes. know what I mean? Marcus Freeman is very shrewd. Yeah. He knows what has been used against Notre Dame for years. And he is comfortable being the first one to say it. He'll he'll sit down with Dennis Dodd and talk about it. Yeah. He'll talk about it. He'll talk about those things as far as, yeah, academics. We love academics. That's what makes us mm-hmm. unique. Yeah, they don't do that at right. our schools like Ohio State. Right. Here, we're different. We're unique. Even though he never called Ohio State out like no, that. Like, I get your point. He's Correct. not afraid to talk Correct. about those subjects and right. put them out in front he, and use them as an asset to diffuse negative recruiting rather than using them as an excuse for why they can't get Correct. guys in the program. Correct. It's what we've talked about from day one with this. And, and, and I'm not talking about with Marcus Freeman. This was something we discussed during the Brian Kelly era is yeah. – Stop using what makes you unique as a as a as a negative. Stop turning what makes you unique as a negative. Stop mm-hmm. getting on television and talking about how hard this is and how right. bad this is and blah blah right. blah blah blah. And as you said, Marcus Freeman has embraced those things and he's not afraid to say it. And there's a I've met a lot of Notre Dame fans over the years that, and it's not even BKPTSD because I think it goes back way further than that. It's just it's a much bigger thing where you know you they get uncomfortable when you start talking about all the things about Notre Dame that make it unique. Yeah. When you say, yeah, Notre Dame is better than that school. Oh, hold on a second. That's why other schools hate us. They're going to hate you regardless. Right. Exactly. Right. So exactly. you might as well at least embrace what makes you special. Cause this is what people that, that, that want, don't like you are going to do. This is what, and you know, what people that I would consider, you know, your enemies, so to speak, are going to do. They are going to try uh, to convince you to not continue to rely on your strengths because, you know, it's not appropriate. It's not fair. You think you're better than us. It's this, it's that, it's not this, it's that. And it's like in an attempt to try to get you to stop using your strengths as your primary weapon. And Marcus Freeman in my, which to his credit has said, no, we're, I don't care if people, people aren't gonna like us no matter what. All I ask is that you quote me correctly. Number one, Right. And and he didn't shy away in the interview the next day with Bobby Carpenter and Anthony Schlegel. He didn't shy away from what he said about Notre Dame. He just said what he said I said about Ohio State, I didn't say. And he cleared the record, but he didn't back down and say, well, you know, Notre Dame's th- th- those are also great schools and they're on the same part. No, no, no. He didn't say that. He said, this is what makes Notre Dame unique. Yes. Those are big schools. Here's yeah. the reality. Here's what I actually said about it. And on top of that, Carpenter and Slagle still tried to negative recruit. Tried. They tried. Tried. They said, oh, are they still living with the other students? Yes. Yeah. You know, like they used to. It's like, tried. Hey, stop, stop. And then he kind of not. Right. You know, <clears throat> and, and that's the thing is, is, is I think that's why you're seeing the success, but, but that's the unique thing about like what Nick Saban did early on. And, and, and Dabo Sweeney did the same thing at Clemson. If you go look at his right. first five classes that built, the 2015 and 2016 title teams. I mean, Dabo Sweeney didn't have a consensus or composite number one ranked class until like two years ago. Yeah. His two best recruiting classes ever made up the worst team he's had in over a decade. 
right? I mean, Notre Dame out-recruited Clemson in four of the five years going into the 2015 season when Clemson beat Notre Dame and was the runner-up for the national title game. And it was, it was again, it was where did he build? It was building around the lines, right? And then eventually you kind of fit enough of those Mike Williamses and Deshaun Watsonses and, you know, players like that around it. But he built he built around the lines, especially the defensive line. Yeah. They really built around the defensive line. And, and that's what Notre Dame is doing. And I think Marcus Freeman understands that. But at the same time, you're seeing Notre Dame really work to go out and and say, hey, yes, we're going to be building the trenches, but we're not just going to go out there and recruit a bunch of power forwards only and and just, you know, smart kids at corner who can't run. We're going to get smart kids at corner that can run. And that's the interesting thing. And, and that's kind of sort of we transition into the second part of this recruiting topic of conversation, Sean, is that's what makes this 23 uh, this June so important for the 23 class mm-hmm. because I think Notre Dame has to lay a foundation in 23 at certain skill positions to set a foundation for 2024 and to just recover the roster and get the roster where it needs to be a receiver and then upgrade the talent, which is what's needed at corner. And so when you look at who's on campus this summer, Sean, at receiver, your receiver class is going to get, it's going to be a make or break. And and let's just tie these last two together. Yeah. Sean has said it separately because I think it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard for us to not talk about one than the other. Right. And that is the idea of closing. You have to this is like this is we're going to like this staff's done a great job of like laying a good foundation. You know, they, they've gotten players. But can you close well enough? Like they've shown they can close well enough to be a top five class. There's right. no way this is not going to be a top five class, in my opinion, like unless the recruiting people just completely say, we're going to screw this, this program over and we're just going to drop all their kids, all the players. Right? right? Keon Keeley's dropped outside the top 40, you know, nonsense like that, right? right? This is going to be a top five class. But can you close enough to make it a top two to three class or number one class? That's the question. And and you look at guys like Jason Moore, defensive line. You look at like Caleb Downs at safety. You look at Jaden Osbury. You look at Charles Jagasaw. You know, Jeremiah Love, guys like that. That's really important. But there's two positions especially that right now, if you point to them, along with quarterback, are the only three positions right now where Notre Dame hasn't met their needs. Like, if Notre Dame doesn't sign another offensive lineman, they've met their number need. And it's a good offensive line class. It would be one of the ten best in the country. They need – they need one of Jagasaw or Freeling to make it a top five recruiting class. And then they need both to make it number one, in right. my view, or at least number one based on what other teams have done in the past. It may still end up being number one this year. I have to look and see what teams do. But just comparing to like other great line classes, it's still excellent. But numbers-wise, they're okay. They're good at tight end. They're good at running back numbers-wise. They're good on the defensive line numbers-wise. They met their needs. They really only needed needed two linebackers in this class as far as just a pure need. Right. They've got two. They've already got, in my opinion, the best safety tandem in the country already. The positions where they are short are quarterback, receiver, and corner. They have one player at all those three positions committed. Just one. Last weekend and this weekend at receiver, we'll start with the receiver first. All the kids that you need to make this one of the five to six best receiver classes in the country, which is ultimately the need, you have to get one of those groups, are on campus. And it's now about can you close? Yeah. And last weekend it was Ronan Hannafin and it was Micah Tease and it was Rico Flores. This week it's Jaden Greathouse. And let's just kind of go through each one of those guys, Sean, and just kind of give the latest and just really talk about what we're going to learn about this Notre Dame staff. And let's start with Ronan Hannafin. 
because he's the guy we've talked probably the most about of all these receivers. Yeah. This is such an interesting recruitment because in every way possible, you think this is should this should have been an easy one for Notre Dame, but it really wasn't. And I'll have a lot more to say about his recruitment when it's all said and done, but it wasn't as easy as some people might think, especially once uh, Clemson and Bama and Ohio state and all those programs started making a hard push. And so to me, I think, I mean, we've said, I think they're going to get him right. We've always felt that we're not concerned about that. It just was more of when, yeah. Can you get him to decide soon enough to then go close the deal? And we'll find out here in the next couple of weeks because he does have a couple more visits scheduled. Uh, you know, can they get him? Rico Flores has a commitment date coming up on July 3rd. Georgia canceled his visit this weekend. Some people have, that I've talked to have kind of spun it as, you know, Georgia's full is kind of the thing they said to him. But I know for a fact that Georgia's still reaching out to receivers in hopes of finding receivers. This strikes me as a, we're no, we're not beating. We're not beating Ohio State in, in Notre Dame for that kid. Right. We're definitely not beating both of them. So let's bow out and save face because you know nobody plays that recruiting game as well as Kirby Smart. Yeah. I mean, he he does that extremely well. And then Micah Tease, and you look at him, Sean. You got to close on two of those three guys. You have to two of those three guys. And then this weekend, you, it's Jaden Greathouse, and this is the one that to me is going to be the most at that, that it's going to be the most telling. Jaden Greathouse. They've been on him for a long time. They have been his leader for a long time, ever since he visited for the Blue Gold game, and I would argue before then. He has since said he is going to take his recruitment in the fall. You've got to do everything you can as a staff to make sure that doesn't happen. And that's what this weekend is going to be about with Jaden Greathouse. And he's bringing yep. mom and dad with him. Yep. That's what they got to accomplish this weekend, in my opinion, Sean. So when you talk about that and the ability to close, it's one of those things – that has always been one of the things Notre Dame has had to do, right? They've had to be able to get out and be aggressive in recruiting and get kids into their classes before the fall. Because they really didn't want to go into the fall and end up battling Alabama, Ohio State for kids because they didn't have, well, to be honest, they didn't have a guy on that last leg that could really close and battle as far as the head coaches. Now they have someone that can. But this is the, the anticipation for this uh, coaching staff. You know there are certain guys that you're going to have to battle for in the fall. You plan for those guys. You much rather have four to five guys you can focus on and really go after them hard than to go into the fall having to get 10 guys <laughs> into your class. And I think what you talked about in the month of June Hinges not so much on the ability of the staff, but the momentum of the relationships between both classes. I can't look. The relate I've never seen a relationship between two classes already as tightly as the relationship between the 23 and 24 class has been established and has continued to push forward. When you think about the fact that in the biggest weekend, which was last weekend for recruiting for Notre Dame, C.J. Carr and Brandon Davis Swain chose to come. They're, they're, what are they? What, they have an impact. They feel like they have an impact on 23 and they have an impact on 24. They recognize this. And I think 
when you talk about family, when you talk about brotherhood, when you talk, think about everything that really goes into recruiting, it takes something special. Brian, you've been skeptical. I've been skeptical. It's going to take something special to get Caleb Downs out of the mm-hmm. South. Mm-hmm. You just can't say we're Notre Dame, we win games, you have academics. No, there has to be a connection right. with those kids in his class. Yep. With the Don Shula, with Peyton Bowen, and all of the other safeties to say, I want to play with those guys. Yep. I saying Georgia, I hear what you're saying, Alabama. I want to play with those guys. And this is what Marcus Freeman is establishing, not just with his staff being able to close, but he has empowered the players in each class to be a part of the closing process as well. That's what's amazing about what we're going to continue to see with 23, hopefully in the month of June and 24, as we get into that class starting to commit to Notre Dame. Well, the hope is, is the CJ Carr can have a big effect because they're going to need him to close out a receiver. And, and that's the big thing for me is like that is a position where you say, well, what positions are you concerned about them not really having a really strong class? And yeah. it's receiver and corner and quarterback because they yeah. don't they don't have any guys in there except for, you know, Braylon James. And as good as Braylon James is a top 100 player on my board, yeah. he can't be uh, the only guy for a second year in a row. Now, he won't be the only guy. I'm confident they're going to get at least three. It's, but can you really close on the top of the board guys? And so I think that's going to be the key. And I think CJ Carr had an effect. I mean, I've talked yeah. to sources. The 23 kids were raving about that kid last yeah. week. That's important. The other position that's important, Sean, it's important from a practical standpoint and it's important from a perception standpoint. And that is corner. And even this morning, there was a comment on the message board and, and the comment was basically, you know, Notre Dame's been weak at corner for a while. And I don't understand where this notion comes from. This goes back to what someone said two weeks ago, right? During the show. Yeah. it's yeah. It really boggles my mind a little bit because we're not that far removed from a, a time when Notre Dame had one, in my opinion, one of the three or four best corner tandems in all of college football. Yeah. In, in Julian Love, a consensus All-American, and Troy Pride. Yeah. It was really good that season, especially the second half of the season. And then you look at the next year, they weren't as good, but they were still good at corner that next year. They were solid in 2020, and they were solid last year with one really good individual player and then question marks on the other side. The cornerback position in the last two years has not been good enough for Notre Dame to be a title contending team because of the cornerback position. It just hasn't. Last year, if Notre Dame would have got matched up against Bama, a healthy Bama team in the postseason, They'd have had a hard time covering the other receiver. Cam Hart could go up against somebody, but the other receiver would have been a problem. Same thing if they'd have faced Ohio State last year. Similar kind of thing. So we're not saying that the cornerback position is elite, but it's like we're gauging it on can you win a title with that group. And I don't really understand why people have this thing like the cornerback position has been this awful position. I don't understand it. Then it hit me. It's because they're looking at recruiting rankings. And 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 that that can make my only explanation. And like you know, look, they've had some bad games here and yeah. there. Yeah. You know, and and obviously you need to get better at that other cornerback position. But and then somebody said, if you know, if you close this month on Micah Bell and Christian Gray, if you're yeah. able to do that, they're like, is this when this is the best corner tandem since? And the, it was left open. I'm like, since last year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then it hit me again. Why is Benjamin Morris not getting more love? Because he wasn't ranked very high. 
Right. Like, okay, it's hitting me now, right? Like, if Benjamin Morrison was the same player but got the proper ranking, then people would be more excited about him, even though film says the same thing. It's really been kind of puzzling, Sean. But at the end of the day, I think Mike Mickens in this class, who Mike Mickens has had two recruiting classes, and they've both been pretty good so far yeah. at corners. But, and they've both gotten better. First year was really deep when he needed depth because the numbers were a mess. Right. And he got depth. And then year two, they needed to up the talent level, and he did just that. I mean, they beat Alabama and Washington for Benjamin Morrison. There aren't many better teams in the country in producing cornerback talent the last five, six years than Alabama and Washington. And then they went and got Jade Mickey, who was a top 150 player and, and a really good football player. And so he trajectory. Now it's about building, uh, you know, stacking those classes. And that's why this month of June is so important. You had Christian Gray on campus last week. Micah Bell on campus this week, and you're talking about two top 100 players. And the funny thing is there's a perception that, that these two kids are way better than last year's class. Why? Simply because of recruiting rankings. You know what I mean? But the point is they are very good, and it's very important that Notre Dame close out. And I think the other thing that I love about this group duo, too, is, you, Sean, you, you've gotten to know Christian Gray really well, and we're, we're in the process of getting to know Micah, Micah uh, Bell very well. But you're talking about Christian Gray is ranked as the number 78 player in the entire country on the on three com- consensus. And he's like 94th on the on the composite ranking for um, 247. Yeah. Micah Bell is still outside the top 100. He's 119 on the composite and he's 120 on the uh, or it's 120 on the composite, 119 on the consensus. But he's ranked 55th by 247 sports. He's only ranked that low because on three is this crazy outlier that has him. Like they have him as the number th- sixty-three player in Texas, two four seven sports. Him as the number fifty-five player in the country. So you got this one weird outlier that's dragging him down. Once they kind of course correct a little bit, he's going to jump into the top hundred. You have two top hundred players. They need to finish. They cannot come out of the month of July because those kids are scheduled to commit July first for Michael Bell, July third fourth for Christian Gray. They have to. They have to go. They Mike Mickens has to bat a thousand. Because they need them talent-wise, and they need them perception-wise. And I think that latter part is, in this instance, Sean, is just as important as the practical part because it's a chance for Mike Mickens to finally get people to say, shut up, look what I'm doing, have a little faith, because we're really rebuilding this thing with some big-time football players. You know, it's interesting you brought up that point as far as being able to win a championship. You know, we used to talk about Georgia early last season. I used to be like, Brian, oh, man, this defense is amazing. And you would point out to me, like, Sean, their, their defensive backfield really isn't that good, right? you know, because they really haven't been challenged yet. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, they get to Josh Heupel in Tennessee, and you start to see some cracks mm-hmm. just from scheme, from a really good offensive play caller. And then they get to Alabama, and it's like, oh, boy. Yeah, they're in trouble. Right. And to say that Notre Dame hasn't had a defensive backfield good enough to win a national championship. Since 18. Since 18. Yeah. Okay, since 18. You're probably probably right. But, you know, we did just watch a team win a national championship that had maybe – a slightly above average mm-hmm. defensive backfield cornerbacks for Cornerback. sure. Like even Lewis seen 
more of a run defender. Yes. The point isn't that you can't win a title with them. What I'm saying is you're not winning because of them. No. Is what I'm saying. Because you can find holes right. in every title team. I mean, where you say, boy, that group alone is not – you're not winning titles with that group alone, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's can they be complementary to what you have? That's my thing. Because I feel that Notre Dame's cornerback group was good enough to win a title in 17. I feel the cornerback tandem was good enough to win a title in 18 and good enough to win a title in 15. When you look at the, what they were around at other positions, in 18, they were a strength, the strength of your defense, in my opinion, were your corners. It's it's relative to can that group be the reason that you go out and win a title? It, it's just so we're, we're understanding what I'm saying there. And and that's the difference. You can win. You could have won a championship last year with that corner, even with Clarence Lewis, if you got the right draw. Yeah. And, and whereas in 2018, it didn't. I don't care who the draw was. Julian Love and 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 the only thing that could stop that cornerback tandem from being really great is one of them gets hurt. Right. And that's exactly what happened. But then right. you get into the depth. They don't right. have the depth that right. other people have. Right. And that's an issue as well. But the thing is, is cornerback has to get better. But at Notre Dame, you're not going to just fix that in one class by going out and give, getting a bunch of five-star players because the last time you've developed a first-round pick at cornerback was 1993 before any of these kids were born. And that wow. stuff matters. Wow. They have The last second-round pick they've produced at corner was Alan Rossum. You know, so you're not just going to go out there and convince a bunch of five-stars, just especially that first year Mike Mickens couldn't even go on the road and travel to see recruits because of COVID. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 one of those things where when you look at what they did last year and what they're doing now, they're 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 close, but he has to close on these two kids. It's imperative. I would argue it's other than quarterback, it's the position that from a talent plus perception standpoint is the most important position for Notre Dame to hit a home run on. And in my opinion, Christian Gray and Micah Bell would be a home run, in, in my view. Now, I think Talented players, highly ranked, great offer yeah. lists, yeah. and and compliments to each they other. All each other in the class, absolutely. Right. And then you stack that, like you said, on Morrison and Mickey and what you have in the freshman class, and then what you have in the sophomore class and the junior class. Now you start to build some of that continuity. And that continuity, once again, leads to when kids come on campus, they start to build relationships with guys that they see making plays and making a difference on the field. It matters. It matters a lot that that continuity in recruiting, because you would tell me all the time, like you can host a kid, but that kid is going to find somebody to say Mm -hmm. something negative during this trip. Like it's going to pop up. And if you don't have that continuity and everyone buying into the culture, mm-hmm. then you really can't hide everything on the recruiting, you know, right. on the recruiting front. I don't work in my humble opinion. This is just my personal opinion from knowing Christian Gray and spending time talking to him and spending time talking to him this month. You know, he's out at USC right now. I really believe it comes down to Notre Dame and LSU. And I think we've said that before. We've chronicled the reasons. And I'm telling you, the ace, if you're playing spades right now, Notre Dame can go ahead and put the big joker on their forehead. Mm -hmm. Because the big joker 
in his recruiting is the relationships. Yes. That are on that 23 class in that 23 class. No and one more. else has that. And more. I think yeah. it's also the players on the team. Yes. And that's why last weekend's visit was so impactful for Christian Gray. And why this weekend's important for Micah Bell. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, when a kid gets on campus, you're not going to hide any oh. net. You, you're not. Not for an official. You can right. do it for an unofficial, but not for an official. What we're what we're saying is you you're it goes back to the to the conversation last week, the culture. We've talked about the fact that the staff's a little bit worried because nobody transferred, you know, and it's because that there's such buy-in right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps. I think that's really helped with this recruiting class because it's like, man, I'm getting around these kids because kids, kids know, they know, they go on these recruit. They know, they know, they, they, they know the kids are being straight with them or not. They know. Yeah. yeah. And when you hear the buy-in, man, I love this guy. I love playing for this guy. He pushes us. He wants a lot from us. You know, he encourages us. It's not, you know, he's a player's coach. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means in this instance. You know, coach is demanding. He expects a lot of us. Our locker room's got to be clean. We got to go to class every day. We got to do this. We got to do that. But you know what? He's always got our back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and so I think those are the things you're getting that buy-in, and that buy-in is then leading to success on the recruiting trail. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that buy-in's only it's it's like this, Sean. Every there's all these different pieces to recruiting. And all of them have to be there. You can't just be good in two or three and not good in two or three others. It all has to be there. The coaches have to work hard. You have to have a head coach that can close. You have to have, you know, a a program the kids want to be a part of. You have to have the culture that these kids are going to come into and be like, man, I want to be a part of that culture. And also have the culture where the kids are willing to come up to the coaches. And I've I've heard this too over the last year is to walk into and say, hey, coach, we don't want that kid. He's not going to fit into this culture. Right. Like here's here's why we say that. Yeah. Right. And 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 it's not because this kid plays the same position as my buddy. It's not like that. It does that doesn't happen. It's more of a, you know, this is what this kid was talking about on this visit. This is what he was saying in this visit. He's not gonna be part of it. He's not gonna be part of this this band of brothers. He's gonna want to yeah. do his own thing and yeah. and and all this. And you know, you, we don't want that guy. That's right. happened before. Right. And and if you have the right culture from a player level, that's an important thing. That's how you can you can help mitigate the potential risk of bringing in a kid that that just doesn't fit. Yeah. And at times in the past, they have overlooked that and it has cost them. And this staff has put a lot more emphasis on that. Like, do you guys want to play this guy or not? You know what I mean? And that's important. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
And so all those things are coming down to it. And it gets down to the point now, though, Sean, is at the end of the day, this is all sounds great and fine and dandy, but they got to prove that they can win in these battles that that are going to be a little harder. Yeah. You know, it's the Jason Moore, the Jaden Osbury's, the Micah Bell's, the Christian Gray's, the Charles Jagasol's, the Caleb Downs's. You know, Jaden Greathouse, Ronan Hannafin, Rico Flores, Charles Jagasol, Monroe Freeling. You got to bat a pretty high because here's the thing the board's super shallow right now. Yeah. There's not a lot of dudes in the board, and they still need 10 to 12 kids. They can still get 10 to 12 kids. There's not many more than that on the board. And, and so they're betting on themselves to say, we don't need to expand the board because we're going to get all these kids. That's pretty arrogant. And I kind of dig it. It makes, feel good, though. it makes you feel because good. I feel like they're actually capable of doing it. If, the, yes. if, if I'll tell you that right now, if we if, if this was a year ago and they needed to fit, fill 10 to 12 slots and they only had 17, 18 kids on the board, I'd be like, oh, this isn't going to be good because, yeah. you know, because they're at 15 right now. They want at least 10 more kids in this class, Yeah, which seems like a lot, especially when you think about how shallow the board is. Like, dude, there's not that much many more than 10, 12 kids on the board, period. How they, but that's but so far that's what they've done. Yeah. And and so that's the interesting part. But they, they're gonna have to they're betting on themselves and they're gonna have to be they're gonna have to be right if they're gonna finish. And I think right now they're in a position, and that's what this June has been so important to Sean. And and getting back to receiver and corner. I think those two positions, as much as any other, the quarterback's a different animal. We'll address that down the road. But if those two positions also aren't don't finish strong, like you can overcome not getting an elite quarterback if since you got now that you got CJ Carr again, I still want Dante Moore. This is not about anything negative against Dante Moore. I still want him. You know my Sean. You know my stance on that. I'm, I'm on that train until yes, I'm I'm on that train until signing day, and he signs somewhere else. Absolutely, I don't care if he commits somewhere else. That's just me. If I was the head coach, I'd say I'm recruiting him. Then you know what I mean? Like right. I'm bringing this kid in. That's how it would be for me. But that's a different conversation. So if you miss there, to me, you can't miss anywhere else. That's the that's the thing. You can't miss right. anywhere else. Right. And that's why receiver and corner is so important. And I would argue adding one more linebacker is important. And then I would add, and after that, it's about, okay, then can you add the guys that aren't necessarily needs from a number standpoint, but needs from an impact talent standpoint. That's mm-hmm. Jagasaw and Freeling. That's Jason Moore. That's Samuel and Pemba. That's Jaden Osbury. And that's Caleb Downs, right? Like I would argue that at all those positions, there's not a need for all of them. From a number standpoint, the need is you're closing that gap, baby. And and we're bringing in the best players because look at all the kids that they're going against for those guys. Yeah. Right. Caleb Downs, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. Jaden Osbury. It's like LSU. It's Texas A&M. It's Auburn. Right. You look at Christian Gray. It's LSU. It's Ohio State. It's USC. I mean, you just kind of go down that list and it's one of those things where you're like, you're you're gonna have to beat some dudes to get these kids, right? Jason Moore, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. I mean, Samuel and Pemba, pick a school and they're recruiting him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so we're gonna find out if this staff can really close. Cause here's the thing about Keon Keeley. They got Keon Keeley before Keon became a five star that everybody wanted. 
to a different animal than signing him after he became right. a five star. They've been playing, they've been holding on, and, and they've done a great job of that because Keon is a great fit. But you didn't have to convince Keon he was a great fit. Keon already knew he was a great fit before Bama and everybody else got on him. Yeah. And that's what's different. And that's why we're going to learn a lot about this staff over the next month. I'm going to impromptu question on you, Sean. And this was asked on our message board. And this was asked on a show earlier today. Notre Dame is at 15 commits right now in the 2023 class. Yep. They are currently at three commits in the 2024 class. Mm-hmm. What's amazing about that is they have the number one class in 2023. Two parts of this. Last year, they did not get a single commitment from the 2023 class until June 28th. So we're still 10 days away. At this time a year ago, Notre Dame had zero commits in the class. Zero. Yep. They've already got three. Two of them are top 100 recruits already. They didn't get their third. And remember, they got Keon and Brennan Vernon in back-to-back days. Right. They didn't get their number their number three recruit, Adon Schuler, till August. They didn't get their fourth commit until September when Cooper Flanagan committed. And they didn't get their fifth commitment until November when Drake Bowen committed. And then number six didn't happen until Marcus Freeman was the head coach, and that was Drake Bowen. So five five commits by November, three commits by August. So I'm going to ask you this, Sean, two-part question. First part is going to be about 2024. Will Notre Dame have at least five commitments? Will Notre Dame match its number a number of five by the end of so by the end of the year of the 2020 year, Notre Dame had five commits in the 2022 class, 23 class, okay. five commits. Will Notre Dame match that by the end of the summer? So basically by August 1st. Yes. Will they surpass it? Yes. That that I'm a little bit more hesitant on. I'm going to yes. go ahead and say they will surpass it. Because I think there's two that you and I are pretty confident they're going to get. And then we're basically banking on someone to be a little bit of a surprise that maybe we don't anticipate that will then jump on board. Right. Okay. So we predict that by at the very least by, by August 1st, Notre Dame will have matched the numbers that it was at last year by November, by the end of the year, by December 31st. Yeah. The interesting thing is it gets easy to get the five guys. If we're being honest, there's a lot of kids out there that would love to come to Notre Dame. It's the quality of that five. The five they got last year, it's Keon Keeley, Brendan Vernon, Don Schuler, Cooper Flanagan, and Drake Bowen. Those, those are five really good football players. When you look at the guys we think they're going to get, though, it's a yeah. similar caliber. One yes. guy that we expect that, that – one guy we're very confident they're going to get is ranked as a top 50 player. Right. Another guy we think they're going to get is like a top 120 to 150 player that we think is a little bit better than that. We think he's kind of a top 100 guy, you know, bottom of the top 100 guy. So it's not like they're just adding, you know, try-hard guys. You know, Owen Wafel's a try-hard guy, but he's a try-hard guy that's ranked in the top 200, right? He's their lowest-ranked guy. You know, Brandon yeah. Davis Swain is a top 100 guy. Yeah. So it's quality to that as well. So we both predict that they'll match that number. Here's the bigger question, Sean, and this is going to be different. By, all, by the end of July, what are you setting the, the number at the minimum number at that they're going to land in the 23 class by the end of July, by the end of July, what's the number that you think they're going to land in the, 
in the two in so like public public commitments, not silent commitments, but public commitments. Who do you, where where are you at with that number? Because I think I'm going to surprise some people with my number. Twenty two. So you think they're going to add seven? Um, it's between twenty one and twenty two. You know what? Okay, so I'm you're going to... six to seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going eight. Mm. Big spender. Yeah, I'm going okay. eight. I think they'll add eight. Now that's a high number, and I'm setting myself up for the inevitable. You don't know what you're talking about thing if they don't get there. But I'm just right. looking at the numbers. Right. Would it shock you if Notre Dame added another running back slash athlete in the class between now and the end of July? Or no running backs and three receivers? Because the way I have it is like I'm looking at – I think they'll get a running back slash athlete guy. I think they'll get at least two receivers. I think they'll get one off at least one offensive lineman. So that gets me to four. I think they're going to add another defensive lineman. Gets me to five. I think they'll add a linebacker, which gets me to six. And I think they'll add two corners, which gets me to eight. You know what? And I, I can also see it that. three receivers and zero running backs. Like, I'm just looking at the numbers. I could see yeah. it like that as well. Yeah. That's where I'm looking at. You know what the crazy thing about that is? They could realistically, like, this is, you know, how you play spades and you say, mm-hmm. well, how many books do you have? Uh, I have four in the possible. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at their hand. I'm, I see seven, mm-hmm. and a and a couple of possibles. Like mm-hmm. realistically, they can land nine right. kids. Right. And and, and I went under. I went under the realistic, simply because again, we're going with the July thirty first cutoff. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like yes, could could I I I would be more surprised if they went under seven. Then they if I then if they went over eight over eight, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And something would have to go wrong for them, in my opinion, to be less than seven. Something would have yeah. to go wrong. Yeah, seven is that number where you do like under over. Yeah, right. Yep, I think that seven is solid, which is absolutely an amazing job of closing. Yeah, if yeah, if that indeed happens. Yeah, that'd be quite the number. That'd be quite the number. <laughs> That's, when in in three kids we know are gonna we're gonna know three of them for sure by the end of July fourth. And see when whether they're gonna get them or not. That Georgia cancellation says a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, like when Georgia looks at, I don't know if Georgia looks at Notre Dame as a team. They might look at Ohio State and say, okay, we have to battle Ohio State for this mm-hmm. kid, but we're not worried about Notre Dame. Yeah, for a wide receiver. For them to cancel and say, you know what, we, we can't climb over both of these teams. Yeah, because just... they had fallen behind Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, they had started to fall behind Notre Dame before the visit. After yeah. the visit, it was done. Yeah. That's why they waited so late. It's similar to Notre Dame canceling the Christian Hamilton visit. If Notre Dame didn't have number, didn't didn't have numbers for Christian Hamilton for the last two weeks, they would have canceled him before. Right. It's yeah. after it's it's based on the success they had last weekend that they said, hey, you know, you know what? We're, we're, we're good where we're at. Right. We don't and, and, time. Yeah. And you see all and these he, crystal balls. I'm telling he you, teams immediately said, OK, I'm ready to make a decision. Right. Like his decision was being held up by Notre Dame. By Notre Dame. Yeah. 
you know. So, right. And I think Georgia's coaches are smart. Yeah. Uh, they know how to play this recruiting game. I'm saying this in a compliment. They yeah. know number two, they know two things. This is a 4.0 student that that whose mom wants him at that school up north, right? And not the one that wears red and gray. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know. So, and and so and and we know the kid loves already this team the the the, the Ohio State. Right. Between those two, like in this instance, Georgia is the furthest school away. I mean, they're they're, they're the furthest school away. All they don't play in a high course. octane offense. Yeah. They don't have the academic reputation of uh, Notre Dame or Ohio State. Right. And this is a high academic kid that's got a freaking offer from Yale. You know, Rico's got an offer from Yale. So I, I think it was a let's bow out now because again, I'll have some more on this down the road, but. Georgia just offered Ronan Hannafin as a wide receiver, not as a defensive player, as a wide receiver. Yeah. Like a week and a half ago. Yeah. They have reached out to some other committed receivers at places. They're still looking for receivers, and they're just going to all of a sudden cancel on Rico Flores, who's down to three, including them. Yeah. No, they know where they stand. Yeah. Right? Now Notre Dame has to weather next weekend's trip to Ohio State. But the point is, is we're going to know Micah Bell, Christian Gray, and Rico Flores. We're going to know by the the end of the July 4th, we're going to know where those three are. And based on how they commit, it's going to tell us, do we feel good about still getting to that 7-8 number? Because if they don't go three for three on those guys, then it's going to be like, okay, yeah. uh, you know, now where are we at, right? Yeah. There's a couple other offensive commits that – they don't have commitments date. They they don't have commitment date set, but I'd be surprised if they go very deep into July. Yeah, with those. Yeah, and then it comes. And then there's a there's another defensive player that I think could wrap things up before the end of the summer as well. Now it's about can you now convince some other guys like a Jason Moore, um, you know, some of those other guys to say, hey, look, you know, you don't have to commit to us now. No, but we would love for you to, because this is what we're trying to build. And we think you could help us close. If this is where you want to be, we think having you could help us close because like, if you could say, Hey, look, man, Hey, Caleb, we need you, you know, go to all your top. So I'm just going to list all the top defensive players. Hey, Caleb, you know, Hey, Hey, uh, Hey, Jason Moore. Hey, Micah Bell. Hey, Christian Gray. Uh, hey, Jaden Osbury. We really think getting you guys in the class now is going to help us get, you know, Caleb Downs and Samuel and Pemba. Yeah. And let's say Caleb Downs because Impemba is a different animal. Cause that's, that's like, he's not committing till like December. Right. And he's a Midwest kid at heart. Right. St. Louis. Kid. He's, at IMG, right. he's a Midwest right. kid at heart. Right. So I think that's one where you could say, you could maybe use that angle. Like, look, we're really trying to do something special because if they land more gray bell Osbury, that's the best defensive class in the country. He just scrunched up my face right And there. then if they can then add a Caleb Downs to that, but you're going to have a better chance. Because like you said, Sean, it goes back to what you said a while ago. You're not going to win Caleb Downs over with geography. No. Nope. You're not going to win him over with your proven ability to win championships. Nope. Because look who he's looking at. His yep. other three top schools along their name are teams that have won a title in the last decade. Yeah. It's going to be about the academic piece the coaches and the and the class the class you can come here and be a part of something new and unique and special or you can just go do what's already been done there yeah 
And that's the pitch. And the more elite dudes you add to the mix, the better it's going to be to make that pitch effective and to close on it. Because Caleb Downs loves Notre Dame. He does. Somebody asks, is Caleb Downs generally? Yes, he's generally interested, but he also loves Ohio State. He also loves Georgia, and he also also loves Alabama. That's normally how it is for these kids. It's not just like one school's way above everybody else. That's like Nolan Ziegler. That's the the obvious kids that are going to pick a school. For these kids like that, it's like, I love all these schools. That's why I'm having such a hard time deciding. That's why I've been to all these schools four or five times because most of those trips on my own dime (laughs) because I love them all and I'm having a hard time and I'm looking for – what's the thing that separates the one? And I think for Notre Dame, it's going to have to be about what you talked about, Sean, is the rest of the class. For most of these kids in 23, it's really not about – what you're talking about with Caleb Downs is going to come down to – uh, something that is not really tangible, right? It's something that you can't put in a box. It's going to fit. It's going to be, it's not a statistic. It's a feel. It's like when they get on campus and they're around these other guys in the 23 class, it's a vibe. It's a feel. It's a sense of belonging. It's a sense of being part of something special it's the same reason kids chose to stay at Notre Dame to play under Marcus Freeman it's the same reason why 24 recruit Verdell Richardson tweeted out last night man something something's happening up there in South Bend like the eyes of the college football world are settled on Notre Dame there's a reason why they took the number one running back in the country pulled him up and said, this is the, this is your field. This is it. This is yours. This is where you dominate. This is where you win your Heisman right here. This is where you become the greatest running back in the history of Notre Dame right here. All of those feelings, all of those vibes, that's what you have to give kids to get over what you just talked about, the rich tra- tradition of winning national championships presently, in the present. Right, Notre Dame hasn't had that. The last ten years is all that matters to these kids. Yes, that's it. They don't care that Notre Dame went four years under Frank no. Leahy and didn't lose a game. No. They don't care the Newt Rockney won tie. They don't. They don't care that Era won two and the '88 team. It just doesn't matter to them. It's out of sight, out of mind. It's like why I can't relate to the '66 team. I wasn't yeah. alive then. Yeah. It was like twelve years before I was born. Yeah, you know I can relate to the '88 team because I lived it. These kids care about the last ten years. And that's to, to, I just want to make sure when you talk about the tradition of winning, just clarifying what Sean means, it's 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 to what to these 16 to 18 year olds, it's the last 10 years. About the here and now. Right. It's about the here and now. And that, that right. 10 years is perfect, right? Because the 23 recruits, they know about Notre Dame players on that tw- that 15 team. On the 18 yeah. team. And 17, exactly. Because that's when that was like their infancy of falling right. in love with football. That's their introduction. To, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. So they know about the players on that team. And that just happened to be a really talented team. Right. With a bunch of talented players that ended up in the NFL. So that bodes well for Notre Dame with these players in 23, 24, and 25 moving forward. So the 20 cl- 23 class for me is going to end up being a special class on the field because I think they're going to be great and they're really good players, but more so the tradition in recruiting that they're going to build because of the relationships 
they established. We've already we've already seen it evident in the twenty four class, right? Mm-hmm. It's not this is not just Notre Dame just getting kids to come to come to Notre Dame in twenty four. No, go look at the relationships. Brandon Davis Swain, right? He commits on April twenty third. One of his best friends, C.J. Carr. Well, when he came for the visit, he already knew that C.J. Carr wanted to come to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. They're the best of friends, right? So now you have two kids that were seen pretty much spending the entire day with C.J. Carr at the Irish Invasion. One sets a commitment next Friday to make an announcement. The other one is tweeting about Michigan fans being upset. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the relationships. Notre Dame fans, take note. You do have, you can have an impact on kids recruiting. Stop tweeting at kids. Yes. Stop being emotional when kids don't pick your school or just stop. Yeah. Just stop. Stop doing that stuff. Especially nowadays, because there's a right way and a wrong way to interact with you. I'm going to point to him again. Brandon Plenzer is probably my favorite guy. The only tweets I've ever seen him send to kids, he'll send like a gif, like, no, go Irish right. and a bunch of, and then he'll send a picture of something from Notre Dame. That, yeah. that, I'm cool with that. Right. That, you know, but it's gotta be supportive stuff. If you don't have something supportive to say, don't say it. It's just, it, it's not going to make you look good. There's, there's not a win in that for you. Yeah. Even if you think that you're right, if you got a vent, come to the private message board and even then be respectful, be, be, be frustrated with certain things. Yeah. It's not saying you got to love everything, but just, yeah. you know, Tweeting the kids is just not going to happen. It's the same game plan. Right. Like, the original commits in the 23 class were really tight. The commits, the early commits in the 24 class are really tight. And that bond is going to be set. And they're going to reach out. And they're going to recruit along with the staff. Mm-hmm. And that's just going to be the filling in all of those classes. And that's what it takes to get kids to Notre Dame. You have to have mm-hmm. something that goes outside of what you normally use to recruit. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no way a kid like named Randy Moss would want to come to Notre Dame. It had to be a feeling. Mm-hmm. It had to be something when he came to campus. It had to be something with Lou Holtz. It had mm-hmm. to be something special. It- for, for Allen Iverson right. to want to come to Notre Dame, it had to be something special. But also had. the thing that they had is those guys came up when Notre Dame was a powerhouse. They had Absolutely. won a national championship within right. a decade. When, right. And with Bubba Chucks, it was like, I think he was older than Randy Moss, wasn't he? Or no, he was old. He was younger. He was, younger. He was slightly younger. Yeah, so like with Randy Moss, it was, it had been like, and he was in high school three, four years after they had won that title. Right. He was in high school when they beat Florida state in 93 and should have right. won a title. Right. And, and and so that's the thing, Sean, is is they had both of those. Yeah. But that's the thing that Notre Dame is going to have to try and sell and to yeah. finish this.